today we're going to dive right back into our series entitled Restoration. And we've been talking about restoration, how that the best is yet to come, how God really does have a future and a hope for every person on the planet. And we grab, begin to grab hold of what God wants to do and begin to work with Him. Amazing things really do uh, begin to happen in our lives. So we've been looking at the story of Nehemiah, kind of the backdrop uh, for this entire series. So let's look together Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're just going to read kind of some foundational scriptures, give us an overview uh, of kind of a little bit of the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, Nehemiah says, And when I heard this, speaking of the destruction and devastation of Jerusalem, he says, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. He says, O oh Lord, please hear my prayer and listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. And please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me, for in those days I was the king's cupbearer. And then in Nehemiah chapter 2, God answers his prayer, and the king says, well, how can I help you? And with a prayer to the God of heaven, Nehemiah replied, if it please the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah, rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And Nehemiah 6 says that on October the 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. And when our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated, for they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Amen? And so we recognize that Nehemiah's story is an amazing story. It's a story about reclaiming God's promises. It's a story about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. It's a story about restoring a nation back to its former glory. And, and over the last three weeks, we've been kind of pulling out of this story what we're calling restoration principles, biblical truths that when applied to our lives allow us to step into the wholeness that God has for us, but not only into being whole, but into being all that God wants us to be, right? We want to be all that God wants us to be in every area and every facet of our lives. We don't want God just to do more. We want God to do all that he purposed and all that he planned to do in our lives as we work with him. So we gave you a definition of restoration. Uh, we said that restoration in the kingdom of God is not about going back to what we used to be. It's about going forward into what God has called us to be. Nehemiah wanted to restore Jerusalem to its former glory, but God wants to restore us to our full glory, right? There is a full glory. There is a greater glory that God has for your life. And we literally said this, the best version of your life has not yet been lived, right? Because the best is yet to come. So restoration is not about going back. And we talked about two reasons why we tend to get stuck in the past. Many times we want to go back and we want to redo the mistakes of yesterday. Sometimes we want to go back and we want to relive the glory days of yesterday, right? If I could just go back to when, right? Whenever I was healthy, whenever my marriage was strong, whenever my children were young, whenever my job was good, whenever finances were well, whenever the economy is strong. If I could just go back to when, right? If I could just relive those glory days, amazing things would happen. But we recognize something. We recognize that if we're looking back, we're always looking in the wrong direction. Because restoration is in front of us. 
Restoration is about pressing forward into the future and into the hope that God has for our lives. So if we're going to be a restoration people, we're going to have to grab hold of the fact that the best version of your life has not yet been lived yet, right? And that is so huge because many times we get stuck in the past because we hold on to those good old days. I want you to understand uh, the reality is, is the good old days weren't always that good. Amen? We have a tendency to forget how hard it was in the midst of the struggle. But here's the reality. There is a future and there is a hope for every person on the planet because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And if we will embrace restoration, what we're really embracing is a call to press forward into the life that God has for us. So our first restoration principle a couple weeks ago was simply this. We said restoration requires earnest, heartfelt prayer, right? Earnest, heartfelt prayer, and we recognize how important that is. We said prayer sets the direction of our lives, and then once it sets the direction of our lives, we've got to begin by obedience to move in the direction of our prayers. So if I'm praying about something, but I'm not moving in the direction of my prayer, I'm never going to see what God intended to happen in my life, because faith without works is dead. So I've got to pray to set the direction of my life, and then I've got to move through prayer and obedience toward the prayer that I'm praying. The second principle is that restoration requires an honest assessment. And we said you've got to get real to be restored. You've got to get real to be restored. Until you're honest about where you are, you can never move to where God is calling you to be. And we recognize that denial, when I deny reality, right? And we talked last week about how we tend to think we're really a little bit better off than we are. But when I deny reality, I delay restoration. So restoration is very much contingent upon me being willing to get honest and get real with God about who I am and where I am so God can carry me to that place that he's calling me to go. Last week we talked about how that restoration requires a mindset that works. We said looking back is memory, looking ahead requires creativity. The future requires faith, imagination, and hard work. And so we said that mindset that works says I, I've got to stop just operating out of memory what has been, and I've got to move to a place of faith, which is creativity, where I begin to envision and imagine according to God what can be. And all of a sudden, I began not to relive yesterday, but to create a better today and a better tomorrow, because by, by faith, I believe that the best is yet to come. Think about that. If you really believe the best is yet to come, it requires a creativity to begin to reimagine your life according to God's promise and according to God's plan for your life. And then we said, not only is it faith and imagination, but it's hard work because once I get a revelation and that creative, creative vision of where God is calling me, I've got to put my hands to the plow, right? I've got to engage my heart and my life to do the thing God has called me to do. And then we said last Sunday, we said restoration also requires a focused attention and a determination. When we decide to move forward, there will always be demonic distractions. And we said demonic distractions are really invitations from the enemy to stop doing what you're doing. 
right? The devil can't stop you, but if he can distract you, he can get you to stop doing the God thing and be distracted with a good thing just long enough to get you off track from the purpose and the plan God has. Jesus, the Bible says, set his face toward Jerusalem, and we've got to set our face. We've got to set our attention, and we've got to be focused in on what God is really calling us to do and begin to put a determined heart, right? We need a bulldog determination that says, I'm going to lock on to this thing, and I'm not going to let go. I'm going to lock on, and I'm not going to let go. One of my favorite quotes is from a guy named Eugene Peterson, and Eugene Peterson says this. He says, if you're going to become the person God has called you to be, it's going to require long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. You got to keep on keeping on. You got to keep doing the thing God's called you to do, and you can't change directions every three months or three years. You got to have long obedience in the same direction. You got to make sure that you're praying and then moving in the direction that God has called you to, and it's that long obedience, it's that focused attention, it's that determination that says, I'm not going to move away from what God has planned for my life. And we can probably be really honest with ourselves today and recognize that many times we have lengthened the process of restoration because we keep changing directions and we lose our focus and our attention. I'm guilty. How about you? Anybody? So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to look at our next restoration principle for today. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 10 through 14 says, And then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved, we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. And meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. And the Jews who lived near the enemies came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and they will attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families, armed with swords and spears and bows. And then I looked over the situation, Nehemiah speaking here, and I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Look at that next point. Restoration requires us to face our fears. Restoration requires us to face our fears. The enemy cannot stop us, but fear will rob us of restoration. The enemy cannot stop us, but fear will rob us of restoration. Let me say it like this. If you get to the end of your life, and realize that you have not fully become the person God has called you to be. It will not be because the enemy was too strong, and it will not be because the temptations were too great. If you get to the end of your life and realize that you have not yet become the person God has called you to be, it will be because you and I allowed fear to keep us from obtaining the life that God has called us to live. 
Over 300 times in the Bible. Some people say 365 times. I'm not exactly sure on that. But the Bible says over and over again, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Do not be afraid. Why? Because fear, hands down, becomes one of the greatest obstacles that paralyzes and robs us from reaching fullness of life and the restoration power and promise that God has for our lives. As a matter of fact, your future is on the other side of your fear. Your future is on the other side of your fear. Now, let me just kind of bring a little clarity. I want to kind of bring a little reality and maybe a little perspective to what we're going to talk about today. This message about facing our fears is not about coming to a place where we no longer fear. Because if you really believe that the best is yet to come, if you believe that, if you believe that the best is yet to come, then you believe that God is going to take you places you've never been, you're going to experience things you've never experienced, you're going to do things you've never done, you're going to encounter people you've never encountered, you're going to climb mountains you've never climbed, you're going to walk through valleys you've never walked through, you're going to experience circumstances you've never experienced before, because if the best is yet to come, it's not going to be a remake of yesterday, it's going to be a totally brand new version of life that God has for you. And this is what I know about us. Every time we do something we've never done, Every time we face something we've never faced, every time we experience something we've never experienced, we will be confronted with fear. Every time. Every time you go somewhere you've never gone before, you're just a little bit nervous. Even the first time you come to church, right? This is a loving, wonderful place, but the first time you walk through the doors of the church, you're a little bit on edge. What am I going to expect here? How are they going to treat me? How are they going to look at me? Am I going to fit in? Is it going to be weird? Where are the snakes? Right? All those... We don't have any, praise God. <laughs> every time you experience something, every time you go somewhere, every time you encounter something you've never experienced before, there will always be fear. So facing our fears is not about coming to a place in our walk with God where I no longer fear feel fear. Facing my fears is about coming to a place in God where I refuse to allow my fears to rob me of the restoration promise that God has for my life, and I declare that I'm going to consistently press through and overcome the fears that are facing me today to grab hold of the future that God has promised me tomorrow. So facing our fears is about understanding that my future is always on the other side of my fear. So let me ask you an important question today. What's your greatest fear? What's your greatest fear? Is it fear of failure? Fear of rejection? Some people have a fear of success, fear of people, fear of betrayal, fear of disappointment. I don't know what your fear is, but I know this, everybody's got one. And if you can identify your fear, you can probably identify your obstacle right now. Because your fear is your greatest obstacle, keeping you from the restoration promise that God has for your life. Because your future is always on the other side of your fear. Fear paralyzes us, keeps us looking back instead of pressing forward into what God has called us to do. And what's crazy about fear 
is we will make excuses for fear. We will justify our fear. And we will allow fear to become the thing that gives us permission to stay right where we're at. To become spiritually, relationally, physically, financially stuck. Many people are stuck in a repeat of yesterday because of fear in their life today that they have failed to face and overcome through Christ. So I want to give you today three ways that fear robs us, and then we're going to wrap up today's message by talking about how do we face our fear. So let me give you three ways that fear robs us of restoration. The first one is simply this. Fear robs us because it turns us into beggars instead of believers. It turns us into beggars instead of believers. See, fear affects your relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says this, It is impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. See, the Bible says if you're going to come to God and enter into the presence of the Lord, you've got to come by faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. And what happens many times is fear affects our relationship. And here's, here's the crazy thing about it. It doesn't affect our relationship in the sense that we stop going to God. It affects our relationship because we actually stop connecting with God. And let me talk to you about that. When you are in fear as a Christian, you'll pray about it. Right? You'll go to God in prayer, and you'll go, I'm afraid, God. I'm afraid. I'm a God. I'm afraid, God. I'm afraid if you don't do something. I'm afraid if something doesn't happen. I'm afraid if you don't show up, God. I'm afraid. I'm afraid this is going to happen. God, we need you to do something. Please, God. Please, 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 God. Please do this. Please move. Because I'm afraid if you don't show up and nothing, nothing changes, horrible things are going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to my kids. I don't know what's going to happen to my future. I don't know what's going to happen to my family. And out of fear, we come to God, and 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 we come to God because we're afraid. But the problem is, we go to God, but we don't connect with God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because they that come to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I want you to see a beautiful picture right here. Because fear causes you to be a beggar. Faith causes you to be a believer. If I'm begging God, I'm probably not believing God for the promise. Best illustration I've ever had in my life is uh, taking your kids to Walmart. You ever take a little kid to Walmart and they start begging you for everything and they're begging you for this and they're begging you for that and they're begging you for this and they're begging you for that and they're begging you for this and they're begging for that. You know why they beg? You know why they're begging? They're begging because they don't believe they deserve what they're asking for. Now, if daddy says, see, around our house, I had to be really careful because if daddy ever said it, we got to do it. It's just done. So if we went to Walmart and they said, daddy, you said next time we come to Walmart, you'd buy me a piece of candy. Well, guess what? They got a piece of candy. But if daddy didn't say that, next time we went to Walmart, daddy didn't say it, they said, daddy, will you please give me a piece of candy, please? Can I have a piece of candy, please? Please, daddy, can I have a piece of candy? Just a piece of candy. I'll pay you back next week. Please, please, please. If you don't believe you deserve what you're asking for, you'll be a beggar, not a believer. Unfortunately, I believe many Christians look like kids in Walmart to God. We're begging because we don't really believe we deserve what we're asking for. 
or we don't really believe God wants to do it anyway, or we don't really believe God is concerned about it in that area of our life, and so we beg. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. And they that come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. See, when I'm a believer, I believe that my prayer pleases God. It pleases God that I ask Him to move in my life. It pleases God that I ask Him to heal my body. It pleases God that I ask Him to provide for my family. It pleases God. Why? Because when I come by faith, I believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. And I believe that God is a good, good Father who delights in doing good things for His children. He's not a stingy man in heaven holding out. He is a gracious Father who is extended open arms to whosoever will believe they can have what God has promised them. Now Matthew chapter 15 is a great story that illustrates this. It says, And Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Thyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, she was a Gentile lady, came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But Jesus answered her, not a word. Now let me just, let me interpret that for you because we have, we have crazy ways of reading the Bible. But Jesus answered her, not a word. In other words, modern day translation, he ignored her. What do you call it when somebody's talking to you and you don't talk back? Stop ignoring me. So this woman comes to Jesus with her need, her daughter's demon-possessed. She asks Jesus to heal her daughter, and Jesus does not say a word. Look at the rest of the verse. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, because she's crying out after us. But Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. Now, Jesus ignores her. Now, look at this next statement. It is not good to take the little children's bread and throw it to dogs. Jesus ignores her, and then Jesus insults her. Jesus just called her a what? He called her a dog. I'm sorry I'm ruining everybody's image of Jesus here today, right? Y'all are like, Pastor Keith, this is horrible. Jesus ignored her, and then Jesus insulted her. And you've got to understand, there's a whole context there. The time and season of his ministry after his death, it was all open to who Sir Will could come. But up to that point, he was sent only to the lost sheep of the children of Israel. So if you were outside of that, you didn't qualify for what God came to do through Jesus. Aren't you glad he died and rose again? Amen? So Jesus calls her a dog. Look at the next verse. And she said, yes, Lord, but yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said to her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. One of the greatest revelations you will ever get about your relationship with God is simply this. God does not respond to your need. God responds to your faith. If God responded to need, there would be no hungry children. God does not respond to need. God responds to faith. And this woman, who was in that moment outside of what Jesus came to do in that season of his life and ministry, came to God. He ignores her. He insults her. And finally, she says, yeah, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. And he says, oh, my gosh, I've never seen such great faith in all of Israel. Woman, today your heart's desire is going to be granted. And immediately her daughter was healed. Why? Because faith gives you access to the provision of God. 
Fear robs us because it causes us to be beggars instead of believers who respond by faith instead of by fear. Let's look at our second point. Fear extinguishes our faith because it exaggerates our problems. Fear turns our obstacles into mountains, and, in, and faith turns our obstacles into opportunities, right? Look at Numbers 13. Numbers 13 is the story of the 12 spies sent in to spy out the promised land. Two guys came back, Caleb and Joshua. They said, we are well able to take the land, but 10 other guys had a different perspective. Look what the Bible says. It says, so they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. And all the people we saw there were huge. And we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak, and next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. Fear extinguishes our faith because it exaggerates our problem. How do you know you're in fear? You know you're in fear because you always have a bad report. It's always worse and getting worse and probably going to be worse and it's harder, and it's bigger, and it's more mon monumental than anything you ever imagined. And if you could just hear how big my problem was, you will be am amazed at how many times we pray with people. And just as soon as we get praying about their mountain to be moved, they turn around and tell us how big their mountain is. I mean, you ain't even said amen. And they're like, oh yeah, and did I tell you how bad it really is? How do I know whether I'm in fear or in faith? If I'm in fear... I'm always giving a bad report. I'm always exaggerating the problem. I love what the scripture says. The 10 spies came back and they said, everybody in the land was huge. Really? The babies were huge. The three-year-olds were huge. Everybody was huge. And we were like grasshoppers in our own side. And we were like grasshoppers in their side. That's what they thought too. Really? You interviewed them? From what I read in the Bible, you didn't even talk to the giants that were in the land. You just saw them, but now you know what they're thinking. That's what fear does. Fear exaggerates your problem. Fear, fear makes your molehill into this great big old mountain. Fear takes what is hard and makes it harder. It takes what is difficult and makes it more difficult. It takes what is big and makes it bigger. And all of a sudden, you start knowing by fear what everybody thinks, right? You have a bad day on your job and you come home and tell your wife, everybody hates me there. Everybody, I'm just telling you, everybody hates me. Well, what happened? Well, Billy said something ugly to me. Well, what about everybody else? Well, they didn't say anything, but they hate me, I know. They're all thinking what he's thinking. I can't tell you how many times people have left church because one person said something and they assumed everybody thought what that one person said. I'm just going to tell you something really important. You're not that important. <laughs> Truth is, nobody's talking about you. <laughs> They're not. But you know what fear does? It exaggerates it. Exaggerates the problem. Exaggerates the ideas. Exaggerates the thoughts. And all of a sudden, everything is huger and bigger and greater than you and your God. I was thinking of this morning as I was praying about a magnifying glass. I was thinking, you know, when you get a magnifying glass out and you look at something, a magnifying glass doesn't change the size of what you're looking at. It just changes your perception of it. If you look at a penny under a magnifying glass, the penny doesn't get bigger. Your perception of the penny gets bigger. 
And that's what fear does. Fear magnifies your problem. But guess what? That's what faith also does. David said it like this. Oh, come and let us magnify the Lord. See, when you're in faith, you talk about how big your God is instead of how big your problem is. When you're in faith, you magnify the ability of God to show up and show out instead of magnifying the power of sin, self, and Satan to still kill and destroy your life. Fear robs us because it extinguishes our faith and exaggerates our problem. Look at the next point. Fear takes our eyes off the promise and focuses our attention on the what-ifs. Man, the world is full of what-ifs. Well, what if I try and nothing happens? What if I give it my best and my best is not good enough? What if nobody helps me? What if nobody supports me? What if nobody stands behind me? What if nobody walks with me? What if I fail? What if I succeed? What if I succeed and I can't maintain my success? What if? Right? Fear sets our focus on the what ifs instead of on the promise of restoration that God has for us. It shifts our attention off of the promise of restoration to the what ifs of fear and worry. And I'm just going to tell you, the only way that I have learned to overcome the what ifs is with God says. When the enemy hits my mind, he says, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, God says, whatever my hands do will prosper, and I'll have good success. Well, what if everybody leaves you and nobody supports you? God says, he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. Well, what, what if God said? Well, what if God said? Well, what if God said? God said, I'm well able. God said, I'm complete in Christ, lacking nothing. God said, he's for me and not against me. God said that he actually loves me and loves my children more than I love them. God said that. God said he rejoices over us. God said he surrounds us. God says he goes before us. God says he's behind us. God says he encircles us with favor like a shield. Well, what if, God said. So how do we conquer and how do we face our fears? Look at the last point. We face our fears by remembering the Lord. We face our fears by remembering the Lord who is great and awesome. Nehemiah 4.14, you don't have to look at it if you're filling in the blanks, but Nehemiah 4.14 said this. He said, I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He didn't say remember your mistakes and your failures. He didn't say remember your successes and your victories. He said remember the Lord who is great and awesome. You want to face your fears? You want to overcome your challenges? You want to press into the future and the hope that God has for you? You've got to remember the Lord your God who is great and who is awesome because he loves you. See, courage, courage comes from knowing the one in whom you believed. That's where courage comes from. We don't have courage because we're self-aware. We have courage because we're God-aware. <laughs> It's not my self-awareness. It's not about believing in myself. It's about believing in my God. It's about recognizing that the one that is for me is greater than the one that's against me. It's about recognizing what we sung, that he fights our battles, right? And he's surrounding me. 
So how do, we, how do we face our fears? We remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Courage comes from knowing the one. It's intimacy with God. It's cultivating your relationship with God. It's remembering who he is and what he has done and what he promises to do. Because when you remember the Lord, guess what? You remember he's with you. You remember he's for you. And you remember that he lives in you. Hebrews 13 says this, don't love money, but be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? The Lord is my helper. I will have no fear. The Lord is my helper. He'll help me financially. He'll help me relationally. He'll help me spiritually. He'll help me mentally. He'll help me emotionally. He will help me in every area of my life. I can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. He will not abandon me. He will not fail me. If I remember that the Lord is great and awesome, then I know he's with me. I know he's with me. And not only is he with me, not only is he an ever-abiding presence, but he is for me. Right? God's not against you. God is for you. Romans 8, we know this scripture. I want to read it to you again, though. It says, and what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Well, Pastor Keith, my family's against me, but God's for you. My friends are against me, but God's for me, for you. The world's against me, but God is for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? It doesn't mean that people won't come against us. It just means that people can't overcome us because God is for us. And if God is for us and God is with us and God is in us, then what do we have to be afraid of? I love verse 32. And since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Think about that. If God gave us Jesus, then won't he also give us everything else that we need to become the person Jesus died for us to become? God gave us Jesus. Won't he also give us everything that we need to become the person Jesus died for us to become? You bet he will. Remember the Lord. When you're in lack, when you're in need, when you're facing the problems, when you're confronted with challenges, when you're looking your fear straight in the eye, remember the Lord who is great and awesome, who will never leave you, never abandon you, never forsake you. Remember the Lord who is your helper, who will stand with you and carry you through every trial and every tribulation. Look at verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Now look at this next part. This is huge. He asked a question. Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, he's quoting Isaiah here, for your sakes we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sleep, sleep sheep. He says, so, so when we have problems and trials and tribulations and persecution, does that mean God doesn't love us? Because Isaiah prophesied that we would be slaughtered like sheep led to the, led to the slaughter. Let me, let me just say this to you today. Christianity is not a life that promises you no problems and no troubles and no trials and no tribulations. 
Christianity is a life that promises you that in the midst of problems and trials and tribulations, God is with you, God will empower you, God will enable you, and God will never leave you. And as a matter of fact, let me just be really real with you today. When you become a Christian and start living for Jesus, there are some things you get to avoid, right? Some of the problems that come from sin. If you're no longer living in sin and following after sin, you get to avoid some things. But guess what? Because you're living for Jesus, you also experience some persecution and some tribulation and some challenges just because you're a Christian. Because now you're living countercultural to the way the world is living, and there's always a pushback when you begin to live against it. But here's the revelation. The revelation. Is do any of those things separate us from the love of God? If we're enduring hardships and trouble and trial and tribulation, does that mean God doesn't love me? Look at the next verse. He answers it. Verse 37, he says, no. No, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. That's not what it means. He says, despite all these things, despite the persecution, the trouble, the calamity, there is overwhelming victory. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. King James says we are more conquerors because he loves us and then look at verse 38 he says I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the power of hell can separate us from God's love no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord so here's a simple thought I want to close with. If God loves you and nothing can separate you from the love of God, then you always have everything you need to do what God's called you to do. Perfect love, the Bible says, cast out all fear. Right? How do, we, how do we face our fears? We remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And if God loves you and nothing can separate you from His love, then you always have everything you need through the love of God to face the fears that stand between you and God's promise and become the person God has called you to be. Because if God did not spare His only begotten Son, will He not also freely give you everything that we need to live that life? Let's just bow our heads today. Two things as we prepare to close. If you're here this morning and you recognize that you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never partaken of that love. And you know right now you're on the outside kind of looking in. You know there is a God and you actually believe that He loves you. But you've never accepted that love into your heart. You've never been willing to lay down your life and ask Him to take it. And say, God, I confess I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Please forgive me and come into my heart and my life. If you've never done that today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. We're about to close, but this is your moment. This is your moment. So if you're here today, I want to challenge you just to stand to your feet right now. Just a simple act of faith that says, today I want to accept that love of God. And I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you right now, the Lord is dealing with you. I want you just to stand. Just a simple act of faith that says, today I want to receive the gift of eternal life. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart and my life and be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, just stand. We're about to close. Don't miss this moment. The Holy Spirit's dealing with you. God is literally knocking on your heart's door. And you know this is your moment. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss the moment.
to stand to your feet a simple act of faith today I want to accept Christ if that's you stand right now we're about to close Father we thank you for your grace we thank you for the love of God that cast out all fear and Lord today I pray that you have stirred us up by putting us in remembrance of how great and how awesome you are God is so Lord we lay hold today by faith of the restoration promise of life and we declare that the best is yet to come in Jesus name Amen